Hi, it's Andy Williams of the Alpha Mirrorless Show here on the TWIP Network. You're listening to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photo is provided by the CashFly Content Delivery Network. Send your web content blazingly fast with CashFly. And now, pay as you go. Start with two terabytes free by going to C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com and use the promo code TWIP. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by the brand new TWIP School. You can check it out at school.thisweekinphoto.com. Hey folks, coming up this November 27th through December 10th, I'll be taking a small group of 6 to 11 people on an exclusive 14-day photography adventure through the wonderful country of Vietnam in Southeast Asia. This trip will have a strong emphasis on the Vietnamese culture and will be photographing all the way. Oh, and as a bonus, you can help me celebrate my birthday, which is November 28th, in Hanoi. Get the full details and sign up at twip.pro slash Vietnam 2016. That's twip.pro slash Vietnam 2016. This is Twip, episode 471. A new Photoshop arrives. Adobe continues with its rolling thunder model of drip feeding cool new features to Creative Cloud subscribers. Just when you were wondering why you pay that subscription fee every month, boom, a new cool set of features that make you reconsider canceling. Also, Hasselblad enters the mirrorless market with a relatively inexpensive medium format camera. And the FAA finally announces rules governing drone flight in the United States for both commercial and recreational use. It's Tuesday. June 28th, 2016, and this is TWIP. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today, I'm joined by a couple of my good friends, Mr. Lee Herbert from CapturingPassion.com and Mr. Don Komarechka from the similarly named Don Komarechka Photography. Hey, Don, how you doing? Well, both of you guys, how are you doing? Hello. Fantastic. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, yeah. All right, check this out. So uh, let's just lead this. This is the first show that Don Komarechka has been on as a father. So congratulations, Don Komarechka. You, you don't look you don't look sleepy at all. What's going yeah, on? There? You know, uh, I'm I'm just full of caffeine right now. That's uh... <laughs> <laughs> or you just when the baby cries, you just nudge your wife. Get up. <laughs> no, no. Actually, uh, I, I was I was looking after that uh, that little. Uh, well, today she was a bit of a monster because she just would not give up with the uh, the the crying and, and baby attitude of listen to me roar. Uh, but that's a baby for you. Is that the baby or your wife? <laughs> The baby, yes. the baby. No, but uh, she's ten days old right now. So I mean, she's she's pre-programmed with three things: she can feed, uh, she can cry, and she can poop. And so she must uh, explore the world with those three things only at this point. So uh, they they all three of them get used quite constantly. Yeah, that's a that's that's a similar kind of trifecta of mammals so they all, they all kind of do that at that age right exactly. so that's great though and congratulations and as you record this your birthday is tomorrow it's kind of a milestone for you right happy yeah birthday. I'm, I'm turning 30 so uh I, I i can no longer say i'm still in my 20s and uh and you know it, it's wonderful it'll be another great decade a decade my first uh you know time being a father and so many wonderful projects on the go i'm just so excited life that's is good. life has never been more fun right now that's good. Well, congratulations, and thanks for coming on, despite I'm sure you're, you're insanely busy over there. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank you. 
All right. And also Mr. Lee Herbert, who's a veteran father now. How old is your baby? <laughs> he just turned one a week and a half ago. Oh, you look at that. 12 months on you, Don Comerange. Wait, wait, uh, Lee, uh, what's your son's birthday? Uh, 18th of June. That's my daughter's birthday. There you go. Oh, look at that. Oh. That is so weird. It's look at that. <laughs> look at that. Well, cool. Thanks to both of you guys for coming on. It's a, I think this is going to be a really interesting show and appropriate because there's lots of cool stuff that's happening in the world of photography. The big thing that I want to segue this uh, opening into is um, Photoshop. Right, you both use Photoshop. Don, I, I know you you live in Photoshop for the most part. Lee, you not so much because you're video, but I know you know Photoshop. So Adobe, whenever Adobe rolls out a new version of Photoshop, it used to be a really really big deal, like you know ticker tape parade and all that. Now you know it's still a big deal, but not so much as it was before when the big watershed features used to hit, like layers and all that. But they they rolled out Photoshop. First of all, this naming thing. <laughs> so, so I don't know. And I got to ask Sean from The Fix what Adobe was thinking with why they named this 2015.5. That's the name of the version. Photoshop rolls of 2015.5 when we're in 2016 and almost going into 2017. So I don't know. Let's start with you, Lee, Lee Herbert. Uh, first of all, what, can you decipher what this naming convention that they came up with means? Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it sounds like marketing's given up and they've just let the engineers take over. <laughs> the, the, the guy that was in charge of laying, uh, in charge of doing the naming got laid off midway through the year last year. So. <laughs> it, it, yeah, he, he, he was the one guy in the corner going, I don't like subscriptions. Shut up, Dave. Yeah. yeah, it's not my job. He's doing it. We're just going to go with whatever the last thing he put in that block was. That's the name of it. <laughs> I mean, you know, look, with, I mean, with the naming, it kind of reminds me of, um, I, I was at Apple when, when the, the new iPad came out, which was the iPad 3, but they refused to call it the yeah. iPad 3 and it was the new iPad. And I had to help out in some of the retail stores from time to time. And I was trying to tell a customer when the iPad 4 came out, well, no, this is the iPad 4, and it's not the new iPad, because the new iPad is the old iPad, and the new iPad is the iPad 4. I was like, why did right? they like, do why? this to me? And it's I, like just to purposely confuse customers. Like the whole purpose that, you know, we came up with a numbering system was to apply numbers to things so that people could keep track of them, right? <laughs> like, why break that? The thing is, I do think it's an interesting byproduct of the new subscription model, because if you think about mm -hmm. it, when they had to sell box sets, so let's say, you know, it's, it's this year's new version of Photoshop, and it's Photoshop 12, and they have to really push it from a marketing point of view, because they're like, Photoshop 12, it's got all these new features, and here's why you need to buy the new version. Well, they don't need to do that anymore, because everyone's just getting the new version because whether you like it or not, pretty much everyone's subscribed now. So that's, that's very true. in terms of marketing, they don't have to sell you why you have to buy it. They just have to sell you as to why you have to keep subscribing and not complain that everything's broken. So mm -hmm. I do think it's an interesting dynamic how it's an interesting challenge for their marketing team because they do need to market in a different way. And, and I'm definitely finding... Um, you know, I subscribe to, to Adobe's uh, Twitter feeds and all that kind of stuff. And I see they're doing a lot of community engagement consistently talking about features. And so they don't have to talk about all of the features right away. They can talk about some great features now, but then they can do roadshows and 
podcasts and webcasts and things like that talking about features consistently. So it's an interesting new marketing model. So it's kind of shifted. These kind of, and, and I didn't even thank you for bringing that up because I didn't even think about it from that perspective. They so they can now they're now since they're in the subscription model mode versus the big bang of big product releases, they are now in the mode of presumably looking from the outside in from running sprints where you like you know okay we have to launch we got to get as many people as possible to buy this product boom 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 and it's all that to more of a marathon mm. where it's sustained breathing over time for the long haul you can drip feed features out just to keep people interested so they keep their subscriptions going you know which which makes a whole lot of sense don don Komarecka, what about you what do you think well, yeah, I think that the version number itself doesn't really matter that much because uh, if you have the Creative Cloud subscription, you just automatically get updated. Or, you know, if you've got CC 2015.1, or 5, it doesn't matter. You'll have 0.5 because you're on the subscription model. Um, mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I've always been a huge proponent of it because it, it allows more people to get in to Photoshop. You don't have to pay that huge ticket price uh, yeah. to jump in. Conversely, though... I find that the features that get added, that get promoted on a sort of subpoint release like this, they get like really punched up like they are the absolute best possible thing that Adobe's ever done. And I look at some of them and I'm like, eh, you know, it's, it's extra convenience and that's great. Like um, the content aware cropping, which will allow you to, uh, to, to crop in a way that, um, you know, automatically content aware fills the corners around a frame. Mm-hmm. that's great yeah. but i that's just saving me one extra step and i could have done that separately and i'm probably going to have to give attention to those extra areas in a lot of different cases because those corners will still need a little bit of extra cloning and, and what have you so um some of that's for me it just doesn't really uh hit the mark some features are kind of really interesting because uh the uh the the mysterious liquify tool which has always been uh you know interesting and powerful and and goofy and very easy to misuse is now simplified with sliders and so anybody can go in there and change the size of somebody's eyes or their jawline or anything and like I wanna, that. I want to talk about that a little bit too. And by the way, I think my video for some reason Google decided it didn't want to look at me anymore, so it's gone. It has gone away. But I'm still here listening, and we'll continue the show. Um, so, so let's talk about these features a little bit before we before we uh, move on from this. So. Uh, just the top line features in CC Photoshop CC 2015.5 better masking, facial aware liquify like Don mentioned, content aware crap, cropping like Don mentioned, match font and faster speed. Lee Herbert, which one of these? Well, let's let's just go through all of them and just kind of briefly. Why don't you take us through all of them and briefly just talk, talk about what they are, and then we'll talk about what your favorite one is, Lee. Oh, yeah, I'll ask the guy who hardly ever uses Photoshop. Good work. Um, <laughs> exactly. That's what I do. Put you on the hot seat. So, 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 so let, let me read from the notes. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, better masking. Adobe well, well, has been but, making great shows. Um, you know, I, I'm just going to go to the one that, that, that sort of, I mean, you know what? The, the, um, the content aware cropping, I, I like that because I, I very often have to use that um, in terms of, you know, people want stuff done within video and they just want the background cropped up, but they need an image or graphic put in. Um, but also the match font for me was actually the most exciting one because um, I very often get stuff from clients where they're like, oh, you know, can you make it look exactly the same? What do you mean by that? Oh, exactly the same. Okay, so same fonts. And they've got no idea what fonts they use. So 
you know, the, 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 the ability that it will look even at a flattened image and it will, again, be- believing is seeing, so we'll wait and see how good it actually is, but it says it will actually find out what font is in that image and if you've got it installed, it'll point out to you and if not, it'll help you download it directly from Adobe Typekit. So, um, yeah, th- th- from, from a professional point of view, uh, being able to the match font feature, I'm, I'm pretty excited about yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm not that excited about that. I'm more excited. I don't think I'm. I'm not really like Don. Don, you were saying this. I'm not. I'm not really like. <gasps> you know, like if these were features that were trying to get me to buy the next version of Photoshop, I wouldn't. Mm. I wouldn't go buy the next version of Photoshop. But looking at them, the ones that make me want to kind of make sure I'm updated and try them are the Facial Aware Liquify. That that feature looks pretty interesting. Where it will take essentially what it is. <clears throat> And I'll read from the notes here, uh, Lee Herbert. It says, <laughs> Facial Wear Liquify. This is, uh, this is that next level of Liquify for retouching portraits because it automatically detects facial features. Automatically detects fa- facial features and lets you adjust them by using sliders. No complicated masking or brushing. Just drag a slider. And this is cool. I saw, I saw a demo of this online. And essentially, even in a group shot with like you know a bunch of people in there, it will find all the feature, all the faces, and then put an oval around the faces, and then find the features of those faces—the eyes, nose, and mouth—and allow you to click on a face and drag a slider and make the person smile a little more, or make their eyes a little bigger, or their nose a little smaller, or their face a little slimmer in a group shot, let alone just a portrait. So I thought I thought that was pretty cool. Don, what do you think? Well, I, I think that it would be very useful for. Let's say you're a wedding photographer and the the bride or somebody in the wedding party was very particular about the way that they wanted to look. They asked you to uh, shoot from what they considered their good side because they didn't like their double chin or whatever it happened to be. And so you realize that there's only so much the camera can do and you have to kind of take it a step farther in post-processing. But then you've got to do that to every single image of this person uh, in, uh, in, in Photoshop or whatever it happens mm-hmm. to be. Wouldn't it be wonderful if, uh, and I, I'm hopefully later on this will come, I don't think it's there yet, but if you could do facial recognition so that it could identify the person and apply an action to the person's face in a set of photographs. Perfectly Clear does that. Perfectly Clear has a plugin that does that over a group of photos, so you can do exactly what you just said. So Adobe is, is playing catch-up then, basically, to this, <laughs> right? I mean, so yeah. it, it is neat, and it makes it more accessible to a lot of people, but its usability comes from who is going to take full advantage of this, and in what scenario is, is that going to take place? Um, they also mentioned that uh, everything is faster in certain ways, and I, I did a little bit of this, uh, you know, a little bit of testing uh, towards that end. Um, I've got some really big files like i've got a a 12 gigapixel image uh, that has like 400 layers and stuff in it uh, of my snowflake poster that i had produced and it's a huge gigantic file so i opened it up and it did open a little bit faster and i was happy about that but when i was saving the file it was still using only one core only one thread to save the file so saving a file that big takes photoshop still 45 minutes and that's just that's unacceptable. I mean, it was unacceptable then. And to uh. me, I mean, I've got a bit of a software development background. I, I, I'm sure Adobe has far more complicated stuff than I'm, uh, I'm going to say here. But I think for something like that, you could save the file in sections as temporary files and link them together afterwards, thereby multi-threading the process of saving a file. Uh, and instead of taking 45 minutes, my computer has 24 cores. I could save that you in You might minutes, need to write right? that up as a patent. 
and uh, you know submit that just in case. Maybe, maybe, but they are making strides to make things faster, and my hats off to them for that. I think that there's still a long way to go about it, though. Yeah, but facial aware liquify, uh, you know, Lee, come on. I mean, if if they add this feature to Premiere Pro CC, wouldn't that be interesting if you could do that over time? No, because I, I use Final Cut. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. Use Final Cut. Ah, <laughs> oh, I can't get you on anything. Quite, can I? <laughs> also, quite frankly, I don't want someone to identify my face and liquefy it. <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> when it's too uh, late. when the robot uh, uproar comes and uh, we are all their slaves, uh, facial cool, awareness though. and liquefy together mm-hmm. are really not the best combination I want. Wouldn't that be cool if you could like log like log your facial features into some database that would restrict any kind of manipulation? You know that, that people were trying to do on the this set of pixels is just sort of no. This person has said they can't be edited. That's it. That would be great. Uh, as, as soon as you no, I'm not. I was about to get political. No, let's leave that alone. Um, <laughs> oh, because we don't do that on Twip. Ever. Well, no, I was going to say as, as soon as as soon as that technology is available, the EU will apply it, so you can't change anything. Um, but. <laughs> What I what I actually what we'll I do was a referendum say is, on it. Oh no! Look, I'm I'm, I'm definitely in, in in the remain camp, but um, I, I can see both sides of of, of the argument. Um, having said all of that, just saying being able to apply that kind of stuff to video, uh, we we do sort of apply elements of it already. You know, it's not it's not as easy to do, but there's a lot of really cool tracking. Um, software that, that you've got built into Motion and you get plugins for Final Cut and Premiere where you and, and After Effects as well, obviously, where you can make adjustments and you could keyframe those and have the adjustments actually change over time and track on someone's eyes and mouth. So, you know, we, we can do it, but it's definitely not as easy as a slider. So, yeah, in, anything that's going to make life easier, I'm all for it. Yeah. Well, that's good, though. I mean, I, I'm excited that they're doing this sort of thing. I mean, from a you know, obviously, I see the benefits like you were talking about before about doing from a marketing standpoint, being able to do that sort of that rolling thunder throughout the year and and drop features to keep that the subscriber base happy. But as a subscriber, I'm happy that they're doing that. You know, yeah. why why do we have to wait years and years for a giant new release when they can just trickle these new features out to us over time? So, I don't know. I'm happy about it. I wish other software developers would do that. <laughs> All right, well, we'll link to this uh, to the post on Adobe that goes through all the features exhaustively with videos and all that stuff in the, uh, in the show notes for this episode. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Hasselblad has a big new announcement, or they made a big new announcement, and they kind of beat some other DSLR makers to the punch in terms of moving into mirrorless. I'd like to formally invite you to check out the brand new TWIP School. You've learned so much from the amazing TWIP hosts and guests over the years. Now, within the TWIP School, you can continue that learning and dive deeper on a variety of photographic and business topics. There are already several great courses to choose from in the school, and we will be adding new courses often. Right now, you can learn about fashion photography from Lucas Passmore, Final Cut Pro 10 for photographers, and time lapse with Lee Herbert, marketing for photographers with Zach Prez, and even time travel for photographers with yours truly. And to kick things off, you can check out the school today with a course that we've made available for free for a limited time only, and that's Five Habits of Highly Effective Photographers. It's an inspirational course designed to help you get more done and stay focused. So head over to the brand new TWIP school now at school.thisweekinphoto.com. That's school.thisweekinphoto.com. 
All right, guys, let's dive back in. So uh, last week we talked about, I think we talked about Hasselblad and their new X1D mirrorless medium format camera uh, becoming available. I want to I dive into it a little bit. Don Comoresco, specifically with you. Lee Herbert, I know you're a video guy. You don't care about resolution unless it's 4K <laughs> or 8K. But... <laughs> But but Don Komarechka, you actually photograph molecules, atoms, and DNA helixes with your lens. Like what, what? What did you think about this? Does this kind of larger mirrorless? What is it? Fifty megapixel with a touchscreen and all that, but at a price. Do you care about it? Of course, I care about it, man. I mean, and and at a price, you're saying sure. I mean, like it's got a hefty price tag of nine thousand dollars. It is almost exactly the same hardware and better in some ways for people like me than the full medium format cameras that Hasselblad just announced very recently before this one that cost three times the price. They're $26,000 for that setup. So this puts medium format in the digital era in the hands of uh, of professional photographers that previously would never have considered the jump to medium format. And so Mm -hmm. this is a huge game changer. Um, And, you know, you, you look at the specs of it and... I, I didn't realize how fast medium format cameras had gotten. They're now in the range of, I think, up to 2.3 frames per second, which sounds pitifully slow compared to what we're used to in uh, in the uh, full frame or smaller uh, formats. But, I mean, it was a couple of years ago, it was like you would be able to take one picture every two to three seconds or so. Yeah. Uh, and, like, I've got a number of Canon uh, 5D Mark IIs. Uh, in fact, I've got two of them sitting here on my desk right in front of me. And these were 3.9 frames per second. And I was so happy with that because it gave me a lot of other good stuff under the hood. And I could deal with the slower frame rate. It, it wasn't a good sports camera. It was never intended to be that way. But it can make a phenomenal uh, uh, night. Uh, uh, landscape camera because it goes all the way up to I think ISO uh, 25,600 which yes, by the does, way their yeah. full like their $26,000 uh, version of this with what it, I think is the same sensor uh, the software in that camera only lets it go up to ISO 6400 so this this beast of a camera is phenomenal I'm kudos to, to Hasselblad for coming out with this because they've just saved themselves uh, the medium format market was going nowhere and now everybody's talking about it and uh, and this is the start of something big. See, your your excitement about this makes me think that your 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 baby's education is going to have to wait because <laughs> because that no. money is going into this camera body. You know, I, I I just bought a camera with the exact same uh, combination of numbers and letters, the Canon One DX, uh, yeah. and uh, and so that was a big pricey purchase and I'm not going to be buying another camera anytime soon. This camera does a lot for me. Um, but I've been on the fence about the mirrorless market for a very long time. Uh, that I almost bit the bullet with the a seven R two from Sony. Um, but now that Hasselblad is doing something really fun and unique here, uh, that's going to be my new consideration. Now, one of the interesting things is of course, medium format, larger sensor size. Um, it uses, uh, of course, larger lenses as a result. So well, while the camera body is small, any assortment of lenses that you have will be much bigger. You'll probably have a, a, a smaller range of choices. You wouldn't be doing super telephoto bird photography, for example, because the lens would have to be the size of your car. Um, exactly. Of the Hubble, Hubble telescope, right? Exactly. Uh, but, I mean, it would make a wonderful portrait uh, 
uh, lens. It would make a wonderful landscape lens and potentially a great macro lens if, uh, if the equipment is out there for that. One of the problems that I encounter a lot with my macro work is diffraction because light bends off course and you need a bigger area to collect that light in order to combat that. And so this camera offers that for me. And so there, there are certain things that that I'm just really excited about. And I know you can hear it in my voice and I'm looking at what they've done and I, I can't think that they could have done it better for a first run you're product like this. You're getting You know you're I, You know, you're... eventually. I, I might wait for the version two because I'm sure there will be kinks to be worked out from this. And the second version of that, if they sell enough of the first one, will really push the R&D up, uh, up into the stratosphere because they, they'll know that they have to, to keep up. There's rumors that Sony and other manufacturers are going to jump into the medium format mirrorless market too. Uh, and you know, for the cost of this, you could buy a Leica with a good lens, or you can go for this amazing Hasselblad. And there's no reason why you would choose anything else. Yeah, exactly. If you are that person like you that needs to shoot this, right? This camera is not for everyone. Of course not. No. <laughs> yeah. So Lee Herbert, you know, looking at this, I see one line in here that may. I'm looking at the notes here. I see one line that may interest you. It says. It can write images to two SD cards and record, wait for it, 1080 video. Now do you care about it, Lee? Come on. Now you want this. Hey, look, they've even got a mini HDMI port, so, you know, I can't complain. Um, uh, you know what? The, the, the bit that actually has me excited about this is a Hasselblad for $9,000. Yeah. Because relatively yeah. speaking, that's super cheap for a Hasselblad. Yeah. yeah. Um, Remember, body only, no kit lens, just the box, right? Hey, if you can't afford the insurance, don't buy the car. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but Lee, I've got a question for you because we're talking about, of course, 1080p video, um, but we're talking about it on a much larger sensor size than any other video camera that I'm aware of is currently shooting. Does that sensor size make any difference in terms of video? And if so, what would it be? It, that's a very good question. Um, it might make a difference um, in terms of you know, how much light it can get, but it wouldn't really make it because, I mean, the resolution is the resolution of video. Uh, so I, I, I'd imagine maybe they're, they're cropping the sensor to when they're shooting the video. Um, I, I'd have to do a bit more research into the specs and see what exactly they're doing. The other, the other really important thing when looking at video is the codec that they're using because that will dictate how much... Um, color and, and exposure information you're actually getting when you capture the video. So if you've got a really bad compression, um, you're going to get huge files and not particularly good quality or, or vice versa and so on. So it's, it's, the resolution doesn't really come into it that much. It more comes into what codecs they're using for compression for the video that, that's going to dictate the quality. In terms of the sensor size, um, I don't think it's going to make that much. No, I, I wouldn't imagine it makes that much of a difference because, you know, like for example, my, you know, I've got, I've got behind me, I've got the A7S Mark II and that's a full frame sensor, which takes lovely photos and lovely video. But then next to it, I've got the FS7, which is actually a cropped sensor. And that does much better video because it has a much more powerful processor. So it can capture 4K at 60 frames per second. It can capture a much higher compression rate. In fact, you get a lovely little, $2,000 box that you put on the back that you, allows you to capture raw. So when it comes to video resolution, to me, like the higher the resolution just means I've got to buy more hard drives. What about dynamic range? Because you say Hasselblad says the CMOS sensor in this guy is capable of capturing up to 14 stops of dynamic range. Does that apply to video? That would apply. Again, it depends on how they're capturing it. So because so, mm -hmm. it's not capturing raw. 
Um, so, like, for example, with... With with the Sony cameras, um, you get log format, and I'm not going to go into the maths of how that works and, and all that kind of stuff, but you shoot in, in log, which just natively looks pretty rubbish because it's very undersaturated and very flat and very yucky. But in but because you shoot log, that actually captures the full dynamic range of the sensor. So theoretically, the FS7, it's either 12 stops or 14 stops, I can't remember. But in order to get all those stops, you need to shoot in log. And I'm guessing that Hasselblad probably doesn't have log. I, unfortunately, I haven't looked into the into the the specs know, of yeah. it, so I don't know. Um, but yeah, that would that would come into it more. The thing is, nowadays, unless you're really doing something you know amazingly creative, your iPhone's going to shoot good video. You know, it's yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it, well, that's a good that's a good point though. That's a good point. Looking at this camera and. You know, as much as I look at, you know, Don Komaretsko when he's when he's talking about this and his eyeballs turn into hearts, like <laughs> what even if the, you know, I mean, who is this camera for specifically? So, I mean, considering the DSLRs we have that are amazing, you know, that shoot these gigantic files and all the other myriad of cameras out there. Why would someone want to buy this Hasselblad X1D? Because they're a plastic surgeon. <laughs> What do you mean? Because they're play- they have the money. Well, well, I'll give you an example. I was I was doing a shoot. I was shooting a conference um, a, a month or two back uh, for a plastic surgery organization, and Leica had a booth at the conference. And you go, well, why would Leica have a booth at a plastic surgery conference? Well, they do you know some medical imaging, but also they sold about five or ten Leicas per day at the booth mm. because mm. the people who are walking around look at it and go. Oh, like oh, fifteen thousand dollars for a Leica? That's really expensive. Oh, we've got the six thousand dollar Q model. Oh, that's great. I'll take one. You know, it's it's if you got the money, if I had the money, I'd get one. It, I I do think it's a beautiful looking camera. I do like the industrial. So, so you're of, saying you don't need it, but it's it's more of a it's it's like you don't need a Ferrari because you can get around in a Ford, but you buy a Ferrari because you can. Is it that level? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I know you're not going to agree with that. I'm not going to pretend I'm a good person. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend know, I'm not shallow. <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of better pixels versus more pixels. Um, mm. And so if you have bigger pixels, they generally mean that each one of them is going to be better. They capture more light. In the case of the the medium format world, and in this camera uh, as well, uh, it captures 16-bit RAW files, uh, which is you know different from the 14-bit that all of our professional cameras in the uh, uh, in the 35 millimeter world will capture. What does that mean? Well, you know, more definition in shadows and highlights, ability to possibly recover of that, better color gradation, better ability to manipulate those colors and push those pixels, um, and so that you know by the very nature means that uh, you've got more flexibility with that. If you're a creative person that is at the top of your game and you want to push even farther and you want to do it by adding like an extra camera to your bag because you might already have a whole kit that works perfectly for you and you want to branch out into something that could be potentially the next big thing for you this could be the camera that bridges the gap and and lets a lot of people in that role start experimenting with the medium format world the market for this 
is going to be the people that would buy a Leica, sure. And, and I totally get that, Lee. That, that's going to be the market for this camera, absolutely. Now, there's an allure there. But it's also going to be the people that buy the Nikon D5 or the Canon 1DX Mark II. Uh, they might Maybe. consider, yeah. depending on the kind of work that they do, if they don't do sports, like I don't do sports. I've got the 1DX Mark II. I do a lot of other stuff uh, that requires really high-quality pixels. If that's what I'm after in a camera, then I might be looking at this camera as the next thing. But then I, I, you know, I hear that and they, as photographers, we always say, hey, you know, invest in the glass, not in the body, right? So this one arguably is not that expensive. So, you know, relatively speaking, $9,000. But then you look at the glass, the lenses for Hasselblad, which I brought up here while you were talking. Uh, Look at this. So, and this is obviously me comparing these to my Micro Four Thirds lenses, <laughs> which is which is night and day. I'd like to call your attention to this three hundred millimeter lens down here, <laughs> which is which oh. is thirty nine thousand four hundred forty five dollars and forty eight cents used from eBay. Uh, and then some of the more pedestrian models. Here's a ninety millimeter f three two, which is. $2,600 and an 82 millimeter or 82.328, which is $3,000. So, yeah, but Frederick, you have to realize. Do you want to rethink your, your discussion there that, you know, this is actually a cheap camera? You, you can get cheap lenses. You don't have to get expensive medium format lenses. They can be ridiculously cheap. You can get them sometimes in but pawn shops. But why would you get – come on. That's like, that's like buying that Ferrari and saying, you know, you can get cheap tires. You can still get the Ferrari. <laughs> yeah. Just go buy some cheap tires for it. Okay, but, but, but Frederick, the other thing is is that, you know, the, the, like for example, you know, the really – let's say like really high-end fashion photographers are going to be using Hasselbloods and Phase 1s and, and, and cameras like this. Um, they're charging $3,000 an hour. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, for an hour's work, you know, one day's work, they've bought the camera, they've bought the lenses, done and dusted, mm-hmm. and now the rest is all gravy. So it's, I suppose it depends on who's buying it and for what reason. So Don buying it would be, you know, professional reasons. So he's actually got to look at the specs and, and see how it's going to work as, as a work tool. Me buying it, yeah. it's like, well... It's a cool and a pretty thing, and I want it, and therefore I will get. I can't afford it, by the way, but you know, and yeah. therefore I will get it. Um, also, I just checked the specs. Two things in the specs. One thing really cool: um, the USB is USB three, which is nice. Um, but for video, Fast. the format is H two six four, which is not ideal if you were doing anything serious with video, like 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 for I, for home why stuff. Is that? Because it's fine. I, I thought H.264 was like, you know, didn't Apple come up with that, that format? I thought it was like the, like the best format to use for It's things. more of an end product format, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you deliver an H.264. Pretty much any video that you see on the internet is, has been, is being delivered in H.264. So as a delivery uh, format, it's fantastic. But in terms of a raw format that you might want to color correct and you might want to do a little bit of magic with, it just doesn't have the information there to to, to, yeah. to work with. Hmm. So many new things to look at. I, I definitely want to try it. I would uh, I would definitely rent this and play around with it, you know, just to see what that world looks like, you know, because it's like, you know, going imagine going from Micro Four Thirds to this. It, it's just, you know, I'm sure it's night and day. It's like, wow, I can see the strands in the retina. I also find <laughs> it interesting that, that Hasselblad, I mean, fair enough, it's difficult to turn around a battleship. Uh, but I find it really interesting that Hasselblad, yeah. 
which is a smaller, effectively more nimble company, but they may not have the same resources that a Canon or a Nikon might have. And yeah. here they are in the mirrorless world. And where are the two big boys? Thank you. That's my point. So, <laughs> you know, we, we actually talked about this. I was out of Chicago just yesterday. I just got back last night. And uh, I, I hosted a panel that we were talking about the state of mirrorless technologies. And I brought up this Hasselblad and the fact that, you know, these Hasselblad arguably, you know, is like respected in the industry. They're, I don't know. I feel like, you know, if you walk into the Hasselblad offices, everything's leather and gold. You know, <laughs> it, just feel, it feels like it's at that level. And then you have these guys that are, that are supposed to be the faster movers, like the Nikons and the Canons of the world, still not doing viable mirrorless cameras like this is it so on the one hand is it Hasselblad just saying hey you know we're still here we're relevant let's do something big and shake up the space you know or are we still waiting on something that 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 changed the world or those changed the world mirrorless cameras from the the Nikon and the Canons of the world Don what do you what do you think I have been waiting for a full frame uh mirrorless camera from Canon for way too many years uh, when it arrives, I don't think I'm even going to care about it anymore. Uh, mm. My interests have gone elsewhere. Interesting. Yeah. Wow, you gave up, huh? I've given up. <laughs> yeah, at, at, wow. at this stage, it's going to be one of those, and we have peace in the Middle East, and Canon's now working on a mirrorless camera. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now working on it, not releasing no, one. No, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they're thinking about it, seriously. We've, we've, announced, we, we've announced intent to start seriously thinking about evaluating the market yeah. for mirrorless cameras. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that's scary. That's scary. But sad. All right, guys, let's move on to this next story. Uh, the FAA, the, the, uh, you know, the Federal Aviation Administration here in the United States, has announced their first round of rules for drone pilots, they call them, they call it their operational rules, and it's interesting. I read through these, and I'm excited. Hopefully, I'm you know I think I'm reading them right, but they seem very fair and almost common sense as you read through them. Like, hey, don't fly your drone over crowds, you know, and if you do, make sure everybody in the crowd knows that you're and has agreed to you flying the drone over them, yeah, you know, things like that. So, and keep it in line of sight, and you know, there's some. Some other things in there where you need to go through and, and get licensing if you want to operate and do commercial flight where you're actually charging people, but they address that as well. So to date, or until this gets ratified, which I think is the end of the month or so, um, you, it was relatively illegal to charge for doing drone-based photography. After this hits and gets ratified, now people can build viable businesses. And according to industry estimates... As you know from the FAA, they say this new rule could generate more than eight point or eighty-two billion dollars, eighty-two billion dollars for the U.S. economy, and create more than one hundred thousand new jobs over the next ten years. So that's kind of a big deal. I don't know, Lee Herbert. You're, you're. I know you are. You are I'm going to put quotes around this. You're a drone pilot, you know. <laughs> even though you, I know you like to land in trees from time to time, but you are, you are a drone pilot. And this, obviously, this is not your country, but you know, what, what do you think about these rules? I, I, I think it's fantastic. I, th I, I am curious to know what the rules are. Um, if someone wants to come in, for, like you know, if I get hired to do a shoot in the U.S. and I come in and I want to fly my drone over there, do I have to get licensed? in the US and what's involved oh. because I, I read the, I read the report and it says something about oh you know you can go to an FAA 
training center or something and, and, and get certified, but they don't really go into details in terms of how much is involved in that. Um, yeah. But I, I think it's always pleasantly surprising when, when there's common sense regulations that come out because very often, particularly with drones, a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of fear mongering. And I'm, I'm, I'm a member of quite a few sort of drone groups on Facebook and things like that. And, and it's, you know, it's almost like whenever you hear something bad happening, like, oh, oh it's, you, know, you know, some moron's going to ruin it for everyone. And yeah, yeah I'm, I'm really excited that, that they've been fairly reasonable. I was, I was afraid of the, you know, the whole shoe bomber effect. Remember yep. uh, back in, uh, you, guys, you guys may not remember, but in the U.S. we had the shoe bomber that uh, tried to put an explosive in the heels of his shoes and get on an aircraft, and they caught him, of course. And then from that point forward, everyone gets pun- punished. So now we all have to take our shoes off before we get on the plane and all this, this mess, right? So I was worried that, okay, now we have these people, and I use the term loosely, that we have these people flying drones onto the White House lawn, onto the emperor's house in Japan with radioactive material attached to the drone, We've got them flying them into brides' heads. You know, we've got them flying and disrupting people trying to, you know, put out fires so that real aircraft can't enter the space. You know, so I was thinking these kinds of incidents are going to speak for the rest of the same drone flyers. And then when they issue these rules, they're going to crush the industry and say, you know, in order we got to got to make sure that none of this stuff ever happens again. So that's what I was worried about. And that didn't happen. Well, it's also, it's also sort of like people, people are almost self-regulating a little bit. Like I've got a mate who, who flies drones quite seriously. And mm-hmm. he said it's gotten to the point now, you know, if he's going to go to the park and fly his drone just for a bit of fun, and if there's someone there with their kids, he'll consider just not flying that day because he just, for the hassle of someone running up to him and going, hey, what the hell are you doing? And, and stop filming my kids. He, like, he, just, he just doesn't want to deal with the hassle. He's like, you know what, I'll just go to another, to another park. Um, in yeah. Australia, they, have, they are changing the laws as well, uh, similar to this, um, where from September, I believe it's September the 9th, but I'd have to check that, you will be allowed to fly commercially without a license as long as your drone weighs less than two kilos, which is about 4.4 pounds for the pound people out there. Um, what's really nice in the US is the limit is 55 pounds, which is pretty much, I think if you get like a drone heavier than 55 pounds, that's a helicopter. So right. yeah. that, that, that's like, like you could put some serious gear onto a 55 pound drone whereas you know a 4.4 pound you're pretty much using a djr4 and that's it you couldn't get like a like an inspire or, or something a bit fancier but yeah I, I think it's i think it's great that that the lawmakers are are being reasonable my, my only concern is is you know some idiot's going to do something stupid and then they're going to crack yeah. down well yeah, it's, but exactly. here's the problem is that frederick you know all those disastrous scenarios that you described um mm-hmm. those won't stop there will be more drone pilots out there than ever before, and this law is an attempt to legisla- uh, legislate stupidity. Uh, you, you can't. You cannot do that. You, it, could, you could argue that's what most laws are doing. <laughs> well, yes, of course. But the, the point is that those people that have a uh, hold my beer and watch this idea uh, yeah. are still going to do it. And 
I'm glad that there are rules in place that hopefully will issue appropriate fines and penalties that are more than just a monetary fine. You know, stick some people in jail for doing something stupid that ends up, you know, having a drone injure somebody or damage property or, or what have you. Uh, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that I, we need to see. We need to see people be more responsible. How do you make people more responsible? Well, Maybe mandatory training if you're going to be buying a drone. Maybe make that part of the sales package uh, in, in the store when you pick one up where, you, you know, after a certain date, you have to take this course uh, that, you know, costs a nominal fee, but at least make sure that everybody with these dumb ideas kind of gets a second thought at them first. Yeah, I think that's really I think I think some sort of training is a really good idea, because if you think about it, you know, generally when something is potentially dangerous or life threatening, um, there's training like, you know, you have to get a driver's license to drive a car, you have to get a pilot's license to drive a plane, you know, to fly a plane. Um, you <clears throat> don't have to do anything to get guns in some places, but that's another story. And yeah, you know, true. With, don't get me started. Yeah, with with drones, you could you could seriously hurt someone. Even if even if you were doing everything right, you know, you could lose control. You could lose the signal. Even if you're not doing something stupid, something could it's go true. wrong. So I think it is important to remember. That, that these things, you know, they're great, they're a lot of fun, but they can be dangerous. So you, you do need to be as responsible as possible so that people don't get hurt. But everything you just said, Lee, right now applies to pretty much any vehicle, right? Yeah. So, you know, any, any motorcycle, car, helicopter, boat, you know, jet ski, same thing. Right, you if if you use them irresponsibly, you could hurt people and, or and or yourself. And for so, most vehicles, you need thing. a license. So I think it's fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I agree. It's, I agree. it's just how onerous getting the license is because you know to, yeah. to, to force people to become basically like a pilot to get a pilot's license. I think that's a bit yeah. much. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. You'll squash the industry, and people will still fly. They'll just do it illegally. Yeah. Right? I know. Don, do you own a drone? I don't. You know, I've been eyeing some of those new ones out there. Uh, DJI, uh, they, they've got some amazing like drones that, I mean, they, they've got stuff out there that I can fit my gigantic digital SLRs on now uh, with ease and fly the big guns. And that, that just makes me so happy. And uh, then I see the price tag and I don't buy it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. I hear you. Yeah, because you're to fly your your DSLR, you need one of those octocopters from DJI with the you know it looks like you know flying Optimus Prime or something. Yeah, so. and they are fantastic looking machines. Uh, they they've got like eight batteries, one on each arm. But then you look at okay, well your total flight time is fifteen minutes from eight gigantic batteries. Uh, I mean, if you're carrying away a small child, I'm sure you know that's uh, uh, you know they, 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 these turn into like children's helicopters at that point which is another wonderful thing that i'm sure the society will discover in the next 10 years which will be very scary for lee and me <laughs> i know so i don't know i mean you know autonomous flight i think is the future i mean autonomous pretty much everything right autonomous cars you know they were talking i read this article the other day was talking about you know we're all hot and heavy about self-driving cars and all this stuff and you know u- driverless ubers and google and apple and whatever they're working on tesla obviously but uh, one of the big industries that may be first to adopt this stuff are, is the trucking industry, mm. right? So you, you remove the restrictions of truck drivers can only drive for so many hours a day and, you know, 
that that seems pretty plausible, but then you decimate an entire industry. Kind of like when, Lee, like, I don't know if you're old enough to remember this, but when autonomous cameras came into play in television studios and they fired all the cameramen, because now, you you know, the people in the control room can control the cameras with a joystick. So, <laughs> or pre-program actions, right? So, I don't and, know. And, and then, but the thing is, there's also, there's always a little bit of backtrack, at least like in that situation, they then realized that the people in the production booth were not very good at being camera operators. And they're like, oh, maybe we should get some camera operators back in here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, or just train them up, you know? Yeah. So it's a learnable skill operating a camera. So I don't know. I don't know. The world is changing, man. All this autonomous stuff. Pretty soon we're just be, it's going to be like, uh, what was that? What was that movie with, uh, with all the people on the ship and they didn't have to do anything because they're kind of being scuttled around. God, what was Wally. that? Wally, the robots. Yes, Wally. Wally. Wally, thank you. Yeah, Wally. We're going to be Wally. Wally. I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully I'm around with that. <laughs> All right, guys, let's, uh, let's move on. Jeez, what time is it? Oh, wow. See, the hour, the hour goes fast. I'm going to skip this last story and take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to take a listener question. Hey, folks, just a quick heads up. There are still a few spots left on my Vietnam North to South adventure. Just as a recap, this November 27th through December 10th, I'm taking a small group of 6 to 11 people on an exclusive 14-day photography adventure through the wonderful country of Vietnam in Southeast Asia. The locations that we'll be visiting include Hanoi, Halong Bay, Hoi An, Saigon, also known as Ho Chi Minh City, and the Mekong Delta. We have some great activities planned, including photo walks, foodie walks, if you happen to like great food. We'll also visit some of Vietnam's most amazing markets and temples and much, much more. Also, we'll have dinner floating on Ha Long Bay and wake up to the most amazing view you've ever seen. And don't worry, there'll be plenty of free time for you to explore and discover each location at your own pace. And your fee covers just about everything, including all flights within the country, accommodations at conveniently located three and four star boutique hotels, most meals, local guides, air-conditioned vehicles, all entry fees for our group activities, and two internal flights. And the cost for this amazing 14-day, 13-night trip is just $3,899 for double occupancy. Or if you want your own room, just add $599 and you can have your own room with your own privacy. So come join me for the time of your life later this year in Vietnam and, of course, help me celebrate my birthday in the wonderful city of Hanoi. Get all the details and register now at twip.pro slash Vietnam 2016. That's twip.pro slash Vietnam 2016. All right, guys, we are back. Uh, periodically on the show, we answer a question that is coming from one of the TWIP Army listeners. This week, we have some feedback about a previous episode from a TWIP Army member. His name is Steve. Steve says, in episode number 464, Future to the Back, you were trying to make the point that when you look at a Da Vinci painting, no one cares about the brush he used for that painting. He goes on to say, now, I thought people do study what types of brushes he used, how he mixed the paints, and that kind of thing. Maybe not the general public, but people who are studying art and painting want to understand his tools and how he used them. Similarly, you're discussing photogra- we were discussing photograph practitioners, so I think it's reasonable to 
be interested in the details about the gear from the discussion you've had. I feel like you'd understand that better than I do, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so basically what Steve is saying is I made the point that when you're taking photographs and someone's looking at your work on the wall, they're not look. You know, if it's and I think I said this when I said that they're they don't really care about how the picture got there unless they're a photographer. If they're looking at the work, they're looking at the work for the sake of the work. And uh, he's he's trying to draw a parallel to that. Lee, what do you think? I mean, is it you know we we, we as photographers obviously care about the t- sometimes we care about the tools that were used to create an image. But me personally, if I see an image. You know, like on my Apple TV back there or something, I'm I'm actually just kind of looking at it. You know, it's like, oh, that's interesting. I don't care what they use to shoot it with. Unless it's substandard. If it's substandard, then I'm like, what is that? You know, can they not afford something with better resolution? You know, but if if none of the flaws attract my attention, then I'm just appreciating the piece. I don't know. Well, what do you think? I, I mean, you know, I can only speak for myself. I think it goes both ways. I think what Steve was sort of saying is that we, we and I think we, we do do this sometimes, that we do tend to kind of dismiss the gear and go, oh, well, you know, the gear is not important. It's, it's, it's the art and it's your skills and, and don't worry about the gear. And, and, and I think Steve makes a good point in the sense that, well, you can't say the gear is not important at all because... You probably can take a much better photo with that $9,000 Hasselblad than you can with your iPhone. But I think on the reverse side is just because you don't have that $9,000 Hasselblad doesn't mean you shouldn't go out and take a photo. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I remember having this conversation with, with someone a while ago. I'm, I'm a member of the Australian Cinematographer Society, and we have meetings every now and again. No one gets up and goes, hi, I'm Lee. I'm a cinematographer. And everyone goes, how long have you been? A-? No. Um but we were having a meeting a while back and I was chatting to a young filmmaker and he was saying, oh, you know, I've, I wish I could go out and shoot something, but I don't have a camera. And, and myself and another member like, sort of turned to him and go, well, do you have a camera on your phone? He's like, yeah, but, you know, I need a proper camera. We're like, no, dude, you know, if, if you can't afford a proper camera or you could only afford to rent up in inverted commas, a proper video camera for a couple of days, go out and shoot something. It won't look as good. But the story is what's important and, and the creativity is what's important. So, But on the same regard, I think in terms of gear, I feel very often the more you spend on gear, the easier it makes your life in terms of capturing that story or capturing that image. So whilst the gear is not super important and you can still make stuff work, if you've got the money for the fancy gear, get the fancy gear and you can probably do it a little bit easier and a little bit faster. But don't let it stop you. Don't exactly, stop exactly. You. Yeah, don't yeah. The, the gear is important, but it's not so important that you're like, well, if I can't get the gear, I can't do it. Right. Yeah. It's not like brain surgery where you need a very particular set of tools to do the job. You can. You could probably. You, can use you could probably tools. still do brain surgery. It's just the results not going to be you know as survivable. <laughs> That's brilliant. Pass me that you know that thing that you, you can, crack open. The, the, you can do brain shovel with a, with garden tools, <laughs> surgery with garden tools. You may not work, but you can still do it. Right? Exactly. <laughs> Scoop the brain out, wash it off, put it back in. <laughs> so it's not going to work. I, I, I think that this is more a, a, a discussion about technique than it is about equipment. Um, and as uh, you know, people study Da Vinci and other great painters. Um, they study the technique very specifically and. You know, I remember uh, a documentary uh, that I had seen recently called Tim's Vermeer. And uh, yeah. it's uh, put on by Tim Jennison, an inventor and entrepreneur in Silicon Valley. And uh, the documentary is done by Penn & Teller, by the way. If anybody likes Penn & Teller, you need to go and watch this documentary right away. But it basically depicts 
the discovery of how uh, Johannes Vermeer made his photorealistic paintings centuries before photography uh, properly existed. And uh, when you see that documentary, you realize that it's all about this wonderful technique that was something of a secret. And that involves some equipment. It does, because the, without the equipment, yeah. you can't make that technique happen. Um, but it's the inventiveness, it's the creativity, and everything that goes behind creating the gear and everything that's required to make that come about. Uh, and it, it basically turns a person into a camera sensor or a piece of film. Uh, you become a machine to copy down based on uh, comparisons between colors across a mirror. It's a wonderful thing to see uh, once you figure out how how that's done, you have a much greater appreciation for the man behind the, the, the creation itself. Uh, at least I do, because now you understand the process. And understanding the process, I think, is the crux of it. It doesn't matter how, but the process, uh, there's 10 different ways for you to make any particular image. Uh, and so if two different photographers that you both admire use a completely different set of equipment uh, and a completely different technique and a different process to do it, then their processes are uniquely valuable, but it doesn't matter the gear. It matters the process underlying everything else. Uh, and so that's where we should focus our attention. I, I, I love, love that you used that movie as an example because I, I really enjoyed that documentary except for the fact that there were times when they didn't have a proper video camera and so there were some scenes that were shot on little <laughs> handy cams and, 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 and cell phones and the audio's rubbish and again because I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit up myself I'm like oh this is badly filmed and yet it didn't take away from the fact that it was a really good story. And, and I talked yeah. to, to Tim, and, uh, and he sent me a copy of his comparator mirror and one of his optics that I have sitting in Wait, my closet. you Ooh. actually talked to Tim? You actually had a conversation with Tim from Tim? Well, we had a great conversation on the phone, and he mailed me. Please tell me you, you recorded that for your upcoming podcast. I did not, but I will. I want to get him back on the podcast once I have uh, actually explored the technique, because I've got all the equipment here, and I want to have a good back-and-forth conversation with Tim Jennison about this technique. And uh, and so I, it's it's one of my projects through the summer and through the fall to to do a uh, photographic reproduction of of some of my images in painting without previously sketching anything on a canvas, just doing oh, a comparator mirror uh, effect of that. And it might take me weeks to complete one. I'm not sure how long it's going to take, but it's going to be so much fun. I've got all the stuff are you ready gonna, are to you go. Sell those. Are you going to well, sell them or are they going to just be personal? No, no. I mean, it depends on how much time it takes because that'll associate directly to a price tag that, you know, in most cases, you know, would be quite high. Uh, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's where I get my new toys. So yes, of course they would be for sale. <laughs> love it. Love it. Cool, man. That's great. I can't wait to see that. Tim's Ramirez. You actually met him. That's uh, that's pretty awesome. Virtually on the phone. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, yeah, so listeners, that hopefully, Steve, that answered your question. Listeners, if you have a question for us, just head over to the Contact Us link at the top of each page on This Week in Photo. It's in the main menu. And uh, submit a question. Just select Main Show, and it'll get to us. If you have a question for any of our other shows, you'll see them all listed there, and you can just select the show and uh, you know type your message and send, and they will get it instantly. All right, guys, let's jump into our Picks of the Week segment. Remember, you guys can pick anything to re recommend to the TWIP Army as long as it is somehow even tangentially related to photography. Lee Hervitz, what's your Pick of the Week? So my Pick of the Week, let me just roll back and grab one. 
is um, so full disclosure um the social media manager for think tank bags is a good friend of mine so whenever they're working on something he just sort of drops in my ear and goes hey you want to play with a bag so um i had i had access to these and and they're available now so think tank make great camera bags uh and now they make great video camera bags unfortunately the whole range isn't out yet um but this is one of their new shoulder bags and what's really cool about it is that it is first of all it is designed phenomenally strong i know that because i've got two of them in my office and my son loves climbing on them more than anything else in the world so my ten thousand dollar fs7 along with a lot of other thousands of dollars worth of gear is in this bag when my 10 kilogram son is climbing all over them and so they are super strong so you can definitely be confident of putting your gear in them but what's really nice is that they're designed with compartments and i'll hold up but you guys can go to the website they're designed with compartments and you can obviously adjust um, so you can actually put your camera gear, your video camera gear in there pre-built. So you'll very often see um, video guys with DSLRs or larger cameras. They'll have quite a bit of gear attached to that camera. So they'll have microphones or they'll have, you know, monitors and what have you. And one of the hassles is that very often I'll get to a client for a shoot and I've got to take all the bits and pieces out of the bag and sort of glue it all together while I'm at the client. Whereas now I can just have that in my bag almost fully made. There might be one or two pieces that I need to put together. And yeah, I just go ahead and pull out of the bag. So I'm curiously, how much time does it take you to set up your gear? Like what is the time savings for this? Because I don't do the whole video construction thing. Um, it, 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 it varies on the setup. So not, not a huge amount of time. It could be anywhere from, um, you know, two minutes to 10 minutes, depending on how much stuff needs to be added to the camera. Uh, but it's, I mean, you, you would also know that one of the challenges is if something's happening and you need to shoot it right away, well, you don't have time, particularly if you, if you're an event shooter, you don't have time to go, Oh, hang on, hang on father. Um, could you just don't marry them yet? I need to get this out of the bag and put it together. Whereas if you can just grab it, also very often, and, and, and videographers in the audience will definitely know this, instead of dismantling it and putting it in your bag, if you're driving from one location to another, you will just put it on the seat very gently next to you in the car. You might put a seatbelt on it and drive carefully to the next location just so you don't have to break it all apart. Um, they do have some roller bags coming later, which which I believe those are coming out in July. Uh, but yeah, the shoulder bags... Uh, are really really good so they've got like a smaller medium and a large and yeah they've been yeah this is this, they've, they've this is a roller really bag good. we're looking at right now yeah so that's one of the roller bags uh which are coming out i believe sometime in july um yeah there's you know there's 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 been a lot of really good thought put into this in terms of what is it that video people need from a bag yeah i like it i like it it looks strong I need a I need a drone bag like this. Oh, look at they, what they did they, with the they, locking they, mechanism. They, they do make drone bags, by the way. Just just so. yeah, I do. I have one. Oh, okay, I have cool. one already. Well, they've actually made a bigger one now. So if you've got an Inspire, you, you've got a, a bigger bag. I mean, it's kind of like the size of me. So if I was to have it on my back and fall over, I'd be like one of those turtles, not being able to get up. Um, <laughs> Little feet sticking in the air. <laughs> help me! Uh, but yeah, it, it, is, it is it is pretty cool. That is cool. That's cool. Cool, man. I like those. I remember uh, one day you uh, you were on and you were talking about their obscenely large bag. There's like a really large bag that they make that 
is is not exactly for carrying on or even checking into a plane. But, yeah, so they've, so they've but got. They've it got, looks you can put all your stuff in it, right? including me. Um, yeah, they've got including, exactly. They've yeah. got they've got the product manager thirty, and I've got the pro, I've actually got the product manager forty um, just behind me there on my wall uh, that I use. Yeah, I see it. it, it yeah. That's that's not the big one. That's the medium one. Oh jeez! So the big ones, yeah. the big, but it's fantastic. Like I, I did a shoot um, in Sydney last week, so I had to, I had to travel up to that shoot, and pretty much all of my lighting gear, light stands, lights, audio, any extra bits and bobs, you know, just I took one of those bags and one of the one of the workhorse bags, and so I had two bags for everything, which was wow. really convenient. You should, uh, they, if there's a bigger bag than that one, they should consider naming it the rest in peace bag because it's, <laughs> I will suggest like, it to them. Yeah. Yeah. Suggest it. Tell you know, I want to trademark that. I'm going to have to, you know, make a call or two. Cool, man. That was a good pick of the week. I like that. I mean, you have to go look at those. I, uh, you know, photographers have a never ending lust for, for camera bags. You can never have too many camera bags. So. Cool. Don Komarechka, man, what is your pick? All of right, week? this is something that nobody's ever heard of before, and that's exactly the way Uh-oh. I like it. Um, so I I do a lot of macro photography, as you probably know, uh, and I just came across this wonderful lens that does uh, stereo macro 3D on a very highly magnified level. And so this lens looks really dumb on my camera. Um, so... <laughs> This it's like such a tiny little barrel on such a big camera, um, but you can see the the lens has two tiny tiny little lenses in it, and this little attachment that comes up to the front uh, that is sort of a window. That is sort of where your subject would be within that. This little piece I actually remove when I'm shooting because I do a lot of my work freehand. Um, this is from a company called uh, I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong, but De Widges. Uh, D-E-W-I-J-S uh, out of the Netherlands. Very small company. They don't have an e-commerce presence uh, or anything of that nature. Uh, and uh, this is phenomenal. This is the most difficult lens I've ever used. Uh, it is frustrating beyond belief and making images with this thing is almost impossible. But the res- I know there was a but coming. <laughs> the results are equal to the challenge. It is fantastic what you can do on this scale in in hypo stereo 3D. And uh, okay, well, tell me what what does that mean exactly? Like like put it put it into carbon based life form. Okay, terms. so basically, you're taking a picture of something on an extremely small scale, like the center of a flower, or filling the frame with a small insect. And mm-hmm. if you can do that uh, with lenses so close together, it will make the center of a flower look like a tree. Uh, and when you see that in 3D, oh. then uh, here I'll just do a uh, <laughs> a, a cool. quick little screen share uh, on my side here as well, because this if you, this is uh, the, the way that it would capture it would be in uh, in what's called cross view 3d so you can cross your eyes and if you know how to do the technique you can actually see this as a 3d image um, if you reverse the pair you can use it in uh, google cardboard or a vr headset uh, or you can save it as a jpeg stereo and view it on a 3d television and all that sort of stuff so um, there's lots of ways for you to, to dive into this and to to experience it but if you see pairs of these images in 3d man they just like this is almost freaky cool uh, when wow. when this sort of stuff jumps right out at you and and for me I, I just think okay I pushed limits very far and this pushes limits even farther because each of these lenses has an aperture of f eighty uh, eight zero and 
And so you push against the limits of diffraction, of course. So everything is a little well, bit what, softer what, than you might otherwise. Like how much light do you have to put on something to get oh, an exposure? My, my ring flash F80. is firing at near full power for every exposure. And so you got to get it right in the frame and doing it handheld is even more challenging. Um, oh. But once you get it, man, like these images are just, they, they, they just jump off at you. Like this is just the, the center of a flower and it just, it looks like mountain ranges inside of this flower. It is so yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, if you can see this stuff in 3D, it just opens your eyes to a totally new world. And I know a lot of people don't care about this because, you know, 3D imagery has been around since the beginning of photography. 3D viewers have been around. Uh, they're, they're antiques over 100 years old now uh, that can view 3D images. But I'm trying to, to explore this myself. And because this is at those limits of physics to, to get that level of detail – and to to capture some of these things like, um, geez, I, I, I did just some of these are so much fun. Uh, I've got one here that is the center of what's called a, a bee balm, which is a type of flower. Um, and it looks like just these like alien jaws reaching up at you if you see this in 3D. And it's just jumping out in the craziest ways. And just the other day. Um, I, I explored uh, using uh, some really fun techniques, uh, playing around with invisible ink uh, and having it glow under ultraviolet light in the center of a flower in 3D. And it just I look at this in three dimensions and I'm just like, OK, wow, this this can be made with a camera. Really? This is so cool. Wow. That looks like a looks like an alien fireplace. I want to see a shot like that of a lightning bug. That would be that your would wish be is insane. my command, Frederick. I will try to find myself a uh, lightning bug, and I will do exactly that. Yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. anyhow, this All this right. lens um, it cost me I think four hundred and something euro, whatever the translation is, uh, plus shipping. And I had to contact the guys directly, and they sent me an invoice. And it was not an e-commerce solution whatsoever. And it's actually an end of life product. They still have some left, but they've stopped manufacturing them. So if you're interested in this crazy world of macro photography, on on an extreme and an extreme difficulty level, these are the only guys that have a lens that will do it for you. So that, that is really cool. You're hitting it out of the park today, man. Both of <laughs> you guys with all these awesome picks. Um, I have an interesting pick. So you may know that I loved my everyday messenger and I use, I actually still love it, but my everyday messenger camera bag. You guys remember that camera yeah, bag yeah, yeah. from Peak Design? Yeah, when they're in their crazy successful Kickstarter with Trey Radcliffe. Well, I took that thing to Vietnam with me, and I loved it. It was perfect. Got wet, survived, still looks like new after all that. Uh, but it was always a little bit too big for me. You know, I was like, it's nice, but wouldn't it be great if it was just a little bit smaller, could snug up to my back, especially as an everyday camera bag, right? The big one is great if you're going on a trip and, you know, you want to take more stuff. But what if I just want a couple lenses and a body and some audio gear and SD cards and all that? Well, they came out with a 13-inch about a month or so ago. And uh, and I just got it in my hot little hands before I went to the Out of Chicago conference. Here it is right here. So this thing is awesome. So it is the 15-inch, or I'm sorry, the 13-inch Everyday Messenger shoulder bag. And it is exactly, if you've seen the big one, it is exactly the same, except, you know, save for a few minor differences. But it's it's it fits 
perfectly. <laughs> it's like the perfect camera bag for me. And, you know, if you look at the size differences here, here's the 13-inch, here's the 15-inch. It's the same thing, only just a little bit smaller. It fits my 13-inch MacBook Pro along with my iPad Pro, a GX8 with a couple lenses, audio gear, extra batteries, a second little point-and-shoot camera. All that stuff goes in this little bag, and it fits just fine. So... Yeah, I'm excited about it. I just got it, and uh, I've been playing with it since uh, since last week. Works perfectly. You could easily so. fit one of those new Hasselblads in there. Negative, <laughs> negative. No, what I'm wondering is that is that macro lens you were talking about would that fit your Hasselblad after you uh, you sell one of those? Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> the, the image circle. <laughs> one of one of Don's Vermeers. When you sell a Don's Vermeer and get your Hasselblad, will it the, fit? Yeah, uh, the image circle <laughs> is perfect for a full frame 35 millimeter camera, and it's the only uh, stereo macro lens that will do that. Uh, but I don't see any vignetting along the the edges of it, so I'm a, I'm guessing that the image circle extends uh, further than that, and it might be adaptable in some way um uh and mm. or I, I was talking to the guy that was manufacturing these uh engineering these lenses so who knows maybe he could make a, a medium format version at some point love it love it yeah and as soon as you get that you're gonna come on the show of and course talk about it. <laughs> absolutely all right, guys, we're at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. Before we shut the show down, I'll find out what you guys are working on. Mr. Lee Herbert, what's coming up for you, man? Um, I've got a few things. So to begin with... Yes, you have some big things. Some big things uh, for a little man. Uh, so next... <laughs> don't month, refer to yourself as a little man, dude. Come on, I'm, don't. I'm, 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 I'm five foot nothing. I've, I've heard them all, you know. I'm, I must rise above. I've got to be the bigger man. I won't stoop to that level. Keep it coming. Um, you're you're a pocket rocket. Oh pocket yeah, rocket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come down here and say that. <laughs> All right, go ahead. I'm not even gonna go there. <laughs> that's, that's like t-ball for me, man. I'm like trying to resist not not commenting. So oh, I'll bite your ankles. So anyway, <laughs> um, so towards the end of July, I believe the dates are somewhere in the twenties of July. I'm actually running two workshops in Perth, in Western Australia, for the folks out there. We we, we run a lot of these workshops, uh, sort of up and down the east coast of Australia. So you know Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne. But we thought we'd we'd give a bit of love to um, the folks out in WA. So this is our, our stills to motion workshop and and how this works is it's a two-day workshop where the, the the first morning we will go through the techniques of how you use a camera for videos as opposed to you know differently for for stills and we go through lighting audio all that sort of stuff then in the afternoon we break up people into teams and you actually go out and shoot a corporate interview and some b-roll for that and then day two we come back and take all the stuff that each team has shot and each person will learn how to edit that together in Final Cut Pro so you will actually have a completed project and have worked on a whole project over those two days so I'm a big fan of hands-on learning it's it's a lot of fun I, I ran these for Canon for the first time a few years back and um, I've loved running them ever since so if you're in WA or thinking of um, being near Perth towards the end of July come on down it'll be a lot of fun very cool. Awesome. The, what else? What else you got? The next bit of news, which I think is what you were alluding to, is I actually have <laughs> yes. my own podcast, which is going live on the yes. TWIP network next week, I believe. So the yes. show is called Motion and Sound. And 
what this basically is, is if you've ever listened to someone being interviewed and they've gone, yeah, well, you know, I, I always loved cameras and then I went to film school and then I won an Oscar and you're like, dude, there's some stuff in the middle that you've left out. Then this is the podcast for you. We we find really interesting yes. people who, I mean, we've got Emmy Award winners. We've got people who've worked on Star Wars. We've got photographers who've got interest in moving into video. So it, it's a whole cornucopia of guests that we've already interviewed and we're going to get tons more. And it basically just starts off with, hi, who are you? What do you do? And how did you come to be doing it? And we just kind of go from there. So if you are a photographer who is interested in learning more about video, if you're someone who's already in the film industry and would like to hear the background and how people got to where they are and some cool little technical tips along the way. Um, I'm, I'm super excited about it. I've, I've been having so much fun talking to these amazing people until now, and I, I can't wait to share it with everyone else. That's cool, man. Congratulations. That's going to be a good show. Thank you. That's really cool. And I, I think it's, that's, uh, that will represent, is it the first... It's the first kind of purpose-built video show that we have, you know, that's that's on the art form of video, motion, and sound. Yes, that's on the is. network. So you're that guy. I'm you that have guy. the flag. You are that guy. Cool. Well, welcome, man, and welcome to the TWIP Network. Thank you. I'm very excited. Not that we're trying to make uh, Don Komareska feel bad, because <clears throat> <laughs> he, he's, he's been busy procreating and doing other stuff, right? So... <laughs> Creating and procreating. Hey, I, I, I don't, so don't want to steal We ain't doing thunder. a show on that. Uh, I, I, I will have a podcast <laughs> coming soon. We'll, we'll make an announcement later. But Lee, that sounds like an amazing show. And uh, you know, <laughs> yes. I, I recently wrapped up some work on uh, a BBC Science documentary series. Uh, so maybe I could be a guest on your show at some point as well. Mm. All right. I approve that message. <laughs> <laughs> so, Don, what do you, what do you uh, have coming well, up? Well, I mean, I talked about my stereo macro stuff. And, and talking about video, too, yeah. I got an idea. Well, my, my uh, Canon 1DX Mark II will shoot 4K video. Well, this splitter will give me two images that if I divide it up, I can do 1080p in stereo of extreme macro work, which could be an entirely new, fun, crazy world to explore. Um, and so I've been having a lot of fun with this uh, stereo 3D, and it's been a joy. But uh, my next big project uh, that I'm really looking forward to is a book that I am publishing, an ebook uh, through Craft and Vision on infrared photography. And uh, it's oh, going to be coming out later this year. We don't have a release date for it yet. Um, but it is going to be the definitive resource for infrared photography. And there'll also be some stuff on ultraviolet photography, everything that's extra spectrum. Uh, it'll, be, uh, it'll have uh, a, additional stuff like video uh, added on to it for tutorials and what have you. It's going to be a phenomenal piece. Please tell me that you're going to instruct us on the best places to go to have our old camera bodies converted. I, I have two people in mind right now, but I'm both putting them through the paces to make sure that my recommendations are correct. Uh, so I, I will hold off on that recommendation right now, but I think both of them will be good. Uh, and uh, at the end of the day, this this ebook is going to open a lot of people's eyes to a totally new world of photography. It's basically like a parallel universe. I, I, I describe it like you're looking at the exact same world 
but everything is slightly different, almost a little bit more magical. And how do you handle that? Uh, what are the physics yeah. involved? You know, like why are things different? But also, how do you make it magical after you've pressed the shutter button in post-processing? What are the compositional rules? How do different things look? It's going to be a great adventure through the world of infrared photography. And uh, it'll be available. It'll be my first ebook that I published. And uh, I'm really excited about having uh, having this all kind of come to fruition here. It's been a that's gonna it's be been really a long cool. time coming. That's gonna yeah. be really cool. Yeah, because like you said, I mean, it's just it's it's another wavelength of light, right? So, and everything is different in infrared. I never considered video in infrared. Oh, it is, and and so if if you do that, it it really helps you visualize how the transition happens. And so I had I previously had the Canon One DX, uh, which I've had sent away to be converted to full spectrum photography, so I can do stills and video sequences uh, using different filters in front of the camera to show stills and video in. Uh, uh, the visible light in ultraviolet in various different degrees of infrared mixing with the visible spectrum and so on and so forth to show you how wavelengths differ and what happens with different wavelengths and how they interact with different things in in a tutorial that I hope will be a mini documentary in and of itself. And so it, there's a lot of fun to be had there. That's really cool, man. I love how passionate both of you guys are about the stuff that you do. That's, that is so cool. I mean, like, what other career field profession can you speak, like, for an hour and a half now on the stuff that you do and still be excited about it, right? It's, you know. I We're very lucky cool. people. Really, really cool. Yes, I agree. I agree. All right, real quick, the things that I have coming up. Um, I just, I'm just on the heels of speaking at the Out of Chicago conference, which went really well. That was my first time speaking at that conference and I was I was blown away at the quality of the attendees and the quality of the speakers and how well it was organized and how how unconference it was. You know, it didn't feel like your normal sort of trade show that you normally go to and get put through the ringer. It, it felt more like, I don't know, like a Cub Scout meeting or something. It was like really it was really fun. It was a, it was a blast on the streets of Chicago. I took my my groups out and uh you know, we made cinemagraphs around Chicago. We did some multiplicity shots around Chicago. I had lunch. It was, it was awesome. So I had a good time. And now I get to do it again. So I'm speaking at the Out of New York conference coming up. We'll put a link to, the, to this in the show notes. Um, so that's coming up. And, and uh, as you may have heard during the show, we run ads for this. But I'm heading to Vietnam. I think there may be two or three slots left on that, that trip. So I'm heading to Vietnam. We're doing a north to south tour starting in Hanoi, moving all the way down to Saigon, and that's in November. It's going to be November 27th through December 7th. And in August, I'm heading to Copper Canyon, Mexico. To uh, I'm going to fly my drone out there again. So I'm going to uh, take the drone out, provided I haven't crashed it before then. I'm going to take the drone out there and do some shots. I'm going on a trip with Ralph Velasco and Photo Enrichment uh, Adventures. We'll put a link to the to this trip in the show notes as well. So it's going to be good. I'm excited. I'm traveling. I don't know if TWIP listeners may have, if you're a longtime TWIP listener, you may remember that, I don't know, about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, I mentioned on the show that, you know what, I'm tired of listening to people like Don Komarechka and Lee Herbert talk about their amazing travels. I need to start traveling. So I threw the gauntlet down and now, boom, I'm traveling. So I've been on like five trips, four trips this year and three more, three or four more to go. So I'm excited Ooh. using my camera. And, and we're looking forward to seeing a lot of those pictures too, Frederick. You don't share them enough. Yeah. 
I don't share. I don't. I know I'm stingy with my pictures. You know, I'm, I'm like they're like my marbles. So I'm like, yeah, these are my marbles. Don't want to lose those. <laughs> I know. They, trust me, they're falling out from time to time. <laughs> but anyway, that's uh, that's what's going on with me. All right, guys, we're at the end of another episode of this week in photo. Listeners, be sure to visit the new Twip School at twipschool.com, whom, by the way, I'd like to brag that we are well into 3,000 new students in our school, which is insane. And also, you can check us out at you know our main website at thisweekinphoto.com. You can subscribe to our other shows, including the two that are coming up from these two gentlemen. We'll be up there shortly. And of course, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, etc. And if you're watching this video on YouTube, please comment, like, and subscribe. And with that, gentlemen, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production. Produced by Suzanne Llewellyn. With technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.